Father, you're so awesome, God, there is, really. We want to acknowledge this right now. There's nobody like you. Yes, you are all God, you're all powerful, you're all knowing, but God, we're amazed at how much you have loved us and how you have just sacrificed everything to see us reconciled back from our rebellion and our sin and the wickedness that that we signed up for, that we pursued, and Lord, in aligning with that, became your enemy, and yet uh, you gave everything. You counted the cost, and, and you, paid, you paid it all. You paid everything uh, to think that the blood of Christ, uh, Lord, that God, as man, bleeding out, uh, paying all of his blood, all of his life, to see the rupture that, that you faced in this perfect fellowship in the Godhead. And, and Lord, all of that because Christ esteemed us better than himself. And it's just amazing. And for those of us who name Christ as Savior and Lord, we want to, we need to be matured. We need to be perfected. We need to grow up and be conformed to your image. We need to, the image of Christ so that we can, as disciples, count the cost of discipleship. Lord, that we would lay down our lives to esteem disciples as being better than ourselves and that they're worth the investment, that they're worth the sacrifice, they're worth the risk of a heartbreak, they're worth, um, you know, attempts and failures and restarts and, and uh, Lord, to see your love but then also your truth and to see the life of Christ produce this maturity that, that, that sees this uh, cycle continue is just the greatest privilege that we could ever know or understand. Lord, to be a part of what you're doing in this world is it's just awesome. Lord, thank you that you didn't just save us and set us on the shelf, but uh, Lord, you've invited us into your family, but also into the work, and uh, it's a privilege. And Lord, help us to never get over that. Lord, I beg you for my brothers and sisters. God, enlarge our heart for people, for disciples. Uh, Lord, I pray that uh, you would help us to be able to see what Jesus did whenever you know, he's talking to potential followers and how he called them to count the cost. And uh, Lord, help us to be wise, to, to use this incredible tool of Luke 14 to, to cause people to soberly consider and, uh, but then, Lord, help us to be a part of the work that you called us to, those that have counted the cost. Lord, we want to commit these things that have been committed to us. We want to commit them to them, and we want to be wise to do it in such a way that they'll have the vision and the tools and, and the motivation to commit them to other faithful men, and that the, the, the ministry, the cycle of discipleship will continue for your glory. And Lord, it's an exciting thing to think about how the whole earth will be impacted because of the people in this room who are learning discipleship or, or those who know discipleship are just continuing to keep a, an edge honed, uh, a, a sharpened state uh, for the tools of ministry that they're using in their local churches that, that will you know, train up people to go and do the same. And so Father... We don't take this for granted. Lord, we need you. 
except you work this morning, then it's all vanity. Father, I pray that you would set me aside and, and uh, despite my stumbling mouth, that God, you through the power of your word, through the power of your Holy Spirit, let your word have free course in the lives of your people. Be glorified in us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so just quick review, and for any that weren't here yesterday, we're talking about a tool that we are using in our local church. Uh, it's called the Cost of Discipleship. It's based on Luke chapter 14, and this was something that was developed out of what we felt was necessity. Uh, we had many people that wanted to be discipled only to get into discipleship and find out they didn't really want to be discipled. Uh, they just wanted to do what everybody else was doing. Discipleship is a big deal in our church. We talk about it all the time, and, and so that's what all the hip kids are doing. It's like what Pastor Grace was saying in the last session. Uh, people like to be part of the group, and, and so, but then you get in, and the full disclosure comes. Oh, wait, we're not just giving you information. We're actually expecting you to apply this to your life and live it out. Whoa, whoa, slow your roll there, preacher. And, and so, you know, after hearing that a few times, and hearing people talking about their extenuating circumstances, why the Bible doesn't apply to their life. I don't know about you guys, but I'll hear this all the time. Somebody will talk about discipleship in the terms that we're describing it, and they'll use words like, uh, whoa, too extreme, uh, unreasonable. In other words, you expect me to learn and to live this, actually learn and live this stuff out in my life? Like this is going to be daily who I am? what, are you guys some kind of a cult? <laughs> you know, it's like, no, we just want to take the Bible seriously. We want to obey the words of the Lord. What God says, what the king commands must be a reality in our life. Uh, this is reasonable service for us. Whoa, 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 you know, this is a, you know, you guys must be young in the faith. You know, I've heard that before. Oh, you're really radical. You're really, you know, you're on fire for the Lord. When you get older, it's like, well, oh. I must be living right. I'm pretty old. <laughs> when you get older, you'll settle down. I don't want to settle down. Right? What God has said, so help us God by his grace, this should be a reality in our life. Amen? And so this is a product of our local church. Uh, it is not perfect. This is, we're going to call this our first official rough draft. And as we walk through this, if you see a better way to phrase something, if you think uh, you've got a better cross-reference for a point, whatever, please give me that feedback. Uh, we will trust the Lord over the next several weeks, over the next couple months, uh, to be able to get uh, Revision 1 in the can and be able to publish that for anybody that wants to use it. This would be just like the discipleship lessons in terms of use. Uh, you can take it and do whatever you want with it. If you make changes to it, just yank the a living Faith logo off of it, put your logo on it, and it, I mean, it's yours. Just, you know, take it, use it however you want. Um, I started this, Pastor Morgan, he is our discipleship pastor at MBC. Uh, he has developed, uh, done a lot of work on this, uh, the team that works with him. Now we've got third and fourth generation leadership now that are taking new people, perspective discipleship, uh, disciples through the cost of discipleship material before we pair them up uh, with seasoned disciplers. Uh, so this has been a, a, a focus of our, our local church. But, um, you know, what we'd like to do is be able to just pass that out to anybody that can, 
maybe use that or be able to make use of it in their church. Okay, so we finished up on page, we're going to actually start on page 7. Okay, that should be where we're at. We start with the fact that we can't disciple lost people. So we talk about what it means to be saved, and once you're saved, you are secure. Uh, but what we want to do is we don't want to just train up people who want more information. We want to train up people who want to live what they know, who want to obey. You know, Christ, he came and he made this point very clearly. Look, I'm not just doing whatever. I'm doing what I see and hear from the Father, right? He is under submission to the will and the word of God, okay? So that same thing should be true of followers of Christ. We're looking for people who don't just nod their head at the Bible and say amen. We're looking for people who will lay down their life living out the word of God, right? Not according to their extenuating circumstances, but according to what the word of God actually says. Okay, so uh, this is where we then begin. Once we've covered salvation, we begin to cover this concept. We're, 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 we want to invest in not hearers only, but doers of the word. Jesus is a blessed savior. Amen? But he is also to be the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And you don't just call somebody Lord and then ignore him. You have to do what he has said. And so this is where we start tightening the screws in the material. We want to train faithful disciples. We want to train learners who will faithfully follow what the word of God says should be true in their lives. So you look at the wisest man that ever lived on planet Earth. His name was King Solomon. And that cat had access. Nobody had the kind of access that King Solomon had. And you read about how he rolled in Ecclesiastes. And you find out in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, if there was any pursuit that he fancied to, to know, to understand, and it was all of it, he pursued it all. I mean, the arts, <laughs> entertainment, engineering, architecture, farming, uh, sexual pursuits, 700 wives, 300 concubines, I don't understand that. I'm still trying to figure out what it means to be what I'm supposed to be to one woman. <laughs> and you're going to multiply that kind of demand by a thousand. I, you know, so wisest man that ever lived, but I, 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 I still haven't cracked that, that insight. Uh, no thank you, not for me. Okay, so his conclusion in seeking out fulfillment was this, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. You want to know what to do in life? You better know God for who he is so that you can respond to him properly. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. And so, Perspective disciples, before we pair you up, we want to make sure that you see the Lord Jesus Christ for who he is. And so we take them to uh, Colossians chapter 1. Psalms 111 verse 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Right? The result of, of fearing the Lord is, is they, right, have good understanding, have all they that do his commandments. Proverbs 1, 7 says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Okay, so if we see Christ for who he is, that is going to produce awe in terms of our response. We're going to be in awe of who he is, and it's going to make us take seriously what he has said. And so 
Who is Christ? Well, he is the creator of all things. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. If he's the creator of all things, that means he's the creator of you and I. Okay, so as part of God's creation, that means we're accountable to fulfill the function of our designer and maker, right? If he is the creator of all things, then that means he is who has created us. He is the one who has formed us. So he's worthy to receive glory and honor and power because he has created all things. Revelation 4.11 says it was for his pleasure. Okay, I know this. I tell my kids to do something and they don't do it. My temptation is to say to them, you know, something cheeky and snide that I, I probably don't really mean. I brought you into this world. I can take you out, right? Well, how much more for the one who actually built us? We were created for his pleasure. And so when our lives don't please him, uh, oh, this is catastrophic dysfunction. Verse 17, he is the self-existing one, right? All things submit to him because they exist by him, right? All things were created by him. He is before all things, verse 17, and by him all things consist. It's in him that we live and move and have our very being. Okay, he is the supreme one, verse 18. Christ is supreme. He is the head of the body. Everything works from the head. You don't, as a member of the body, you don't get to make the determination of why you're in this local church. You don't get to call the shots in terms of the function, the ministry of the local church. Our senior pastor doesn't get to call the shots and determine what the mission and the focus is of our local church. Does that make sense? Uh, by the way, I, at MBT, I'm talking about me. I don't get to pick what our church does. I have to be in submission to our head. I'm just a member of the body. It's by him that we consist. It's in him that we live and move and have our being. We're created for his pleasure. That means the work and the mission of Midtown Baptist Temple isn't the design of man. It has to flow. It has to work in response to the mind of the head. Okay, so you don't have to like it. You just got to submit to it. You don't even have to understand it all. Just endeavor to learn the word of God for yourself and hear little, there little, precept upon precept, right? Little by little, you're going to get the concepts. You're going to get the word of God. You'll begin to understand it for yourself. And now you're either going to submit to it and obey it, or you're going to, just like 99% of modern Christianity, you're going to come up with a long list of reasons and caveats for why the word of God doesn't particularly, specifically, 100% apply to your personal circumstances and situation. Let's be done with that. <laughs> he is supreme. He is preeminent. That means he takes top priority. And if he doesn't take top priority, that, number one, you don't understand your function and your role in his plan and design. But number two, you're not ready to follow as a disciple of Christ. So seeing God for who he is, point number eight, or point number A, right, fearing the Lord, and this is an awe, right, an awe of who he is, a, a, a fear of the Lord. I have to take my creator seriously. Point number B, that means now whatever he says goes. I have to obey what he says. And you cannot be a disciple until you're willing, until you can come to the place where you can say, whatever God says, that settles it. I'm going to submit to it. And so help me, God, by his grace, I'm going to live it out. And if there are reasons why you can't do that, well, then you haven't submitted to him as Lord of your life yet. You're not ready to follow as a disciple of Christ. Luke chapter 6 
Verse 46, why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. He is like a man which built an house and dig deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. But he that heareth and doeth not is like a man without a foundation built, uh, uh, without a foundation built an house upon the earth, against which the stream did be beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. So when I was the college pastor, uh, way back in the day in our sending church, uh, Kansas City Baptist Temple, now uh, Graceway, uh, one of the things that I would say to our college and young adult people all the time is, look, you guys are coming in here every week. I want to make sure you understand you're a nobody. And uh, I would say that because nobody likes to hear they're a nobody. That means I completely have their attention. And then I can backpedal from that, you know. <laughs> you're a nobody. Uh, that is how life works. You start out um, an infant, a baby. It's not determined who you are. Are you going to be a seamstress, a president? of the United States, you're nobody right now. Be very careful how you build out your life because that's going to determine who you are. You will be somebody someday, and that will either be a great investment. Uh, that'll be a great investment of the lives of the people that are pouring into you. It'll be a great investment of your life into the kingdom of God, or it'll be just a big colossal waste. I've, if I've seen this one time, I've seen it hundreds of times got a young man or a young woman, they're on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ, they're learning the word of God for themselves, they're growing as a disciple, but because they didn't actually count the cost, they never came to the place where they could say, and they could know it's true in their own heart, where they could say, you know, I don't care if anybody else is going to follow the Lord Jesus Christ as a disciple and a disciple maker, so help me God by his grace, I'm going to do it. And I don't care what life throws at me. I don't care the, 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 the hand that I'm dealt in life. So help me, God, by his grace, I'm going to obey my king. And until you come to that place where you've made that decision and that's consecrated in your heart, then you stand at risk of being distracted, depressed, derailed, <laughs> defeated. And typically the way it would work, you know, I don't know what is going on in this day and age, but it seems like we've got a few more manly women in ministry than we have manly men. I, I don't get that. I don't know why that is. Um, we need to crack that code. But uh, it's heartbreaking. Uh, Dan, you were with me. Caroline was great until she, no, wait, that's not who we're talking about. Um, <laughs> well, how many people have we seen? These girls would be on fire for the Lord, get married, and now all of a sudden the totality of their life is just raising their children. Um, which is great. That is not an unworthy investment. If we don't disciple our children, oh my goodness, um, we, we got to get that right. Okay, that's, but, but, oh come on, you don't have the capacity to pour into the life of another woman at some other time throughout the week. And so here's this gal who was discipling three or four people at a time, gets married three or four years later, they're not even regularly attending church anymore. Life has just happened to them, and they're completely distracted. And next thing you know, they're just completely derailed, and, 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 and they're not counting in the lives of people for the glory of Christ. 
We have to be purpose. We have to count the cost. Okay, so you're going to build your life out one way or another, and that's either on the foundation of the word of God, right? We've built our lives on the foundation of his, of his word, and so now when we say, Lord, Lord, it's to say, Lord, Lord, give me grace to obey this impossible commission that you've given to me. You know, Lord, except you build this out in my life, then I'm going to labor in vain. If you don't count the cost, well, then the storms are going to come. Life is going to happen. Life just always <laughs> dumps out on you. And those rough and evil days are coming, and Satan knows. He knows what it'll take to discourage you, who needs to say the wrong thing to you, to make you get mad, take your toys, quit, and go home, get you to throw a little temper tantrum. Um, if you're not mature, that'll work. He knows your price. He knows what you'll sell out for. Uh, if she's hot enough, if the job's big enough, whatever it is, you know, the storm will come and you'll quit. You'll quit being the difference in the lives of new and future disciples. Okay, at this point, we use the ultimate illustration of this concept. What's the first step of obedience? <laughs> Baptism, right? That is the first step that a new believer in Christ is going to do. He's going to submit himself or herself to believer's baptism, and, and so we walk, we walk through that. And basically, we tell them, look, this is coming. We got people coming into our church all the time from all kinds of different backgrounds, and we're going to talk about what the Bible says about baptism. And if you have not been scripturally, biblically baptized, well, then we're going to trust that you're going to see that, and you're going to submit to that because that's going to be one of the things that are required of a disciple of Christ. If you can't take this first step of obedience, guess what? You're not going to take any of the rest, you know? So one of the things that we're doing with this is we're trying to warn them up front of what we know the potential sticking points are going to be in the discipleship relationship. Because here's the deal. If, if you were sprinkled as a baby and you're going to be offended at the idea that we want you to get wet again in submission to the word of God, because in your mind it would be offensive to your family, well, then you're not ready yet. We love you, okay? That's okay. You're counting the cost. You're not ready to be a disciple of Christ. We love you. Please keep coming. My philosophy is this. I'm not like some great preacher. I'm not some great minister. I don't have the ability to woo people with my mental magic and get them to do the right thing. Don't have, but the word of God is powerful. And it has the ability to completely separate a person from themselves and all of those caveats and excuses that they were listing in the flesh for why the word of God didn't, I mean, oh yeah, God's word's awesome, but let me just tell you why I can't live <laughs> in the reality of it. All that gets stripped away, and now faith is ignited in the life of this belief. The word of God's powerful. If you'll just keep coming, we're just going to keep talking about, we're going to keep saying what the word of God says, and at some point that's just going to mess your life up. It is going to wreck you, and it'll be awesome. It'll hurt like, I mean, it'll hurt like crazy when you're going through it potentially. Or maybe it'll be awesome. I don't know. Maybe it'll just be a relief to you. But when you come out on the other side of that thing, you're going to be saying, why did I wait so long to just submit to my creator? Why did I wait so long to just finally let him have the preeminence in my life? Does this make sense? Yeah. So we're just warning them up front. This is coming. This is part of counting the cost. And so in that vain in that spirit, point number C, we talk about what it means to disciple, 
If we're going to effectively disciple, we have to disciple those who are faithful to the word of God. By the way, you'll see some words that are underlined. Those are suggested fill-in-the-blanks if you're a fill-in-the-blank crew, right? So you can strip that out, and sometimes it helps people to take notes. I knew I wasn't going to be covering this in depth. If you're new today, we're not covering this point, but I'm going to do it in a few places, but ultimately the goal is to get you the information on how we use the material. Um, we want to disciple people who are faithful to the Word of God. Well, what does that mean? Well, the command is this. We are to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And 2 Timothy 2.2 says, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to who? Faithful men. Well, what does that mean? Well, faithful men, faithful women, do the same thing, right? Faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou, therefore, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So the command is to take the things that we have received by our, you know, our discipler has invested in us, and then we're to invest those same doctrinal truths, those same, those same words of God into the lives of faithful people who will obey that command. They will obey that commission, and they'll turn around and do the same thing also. So you're not ready to be a disciple until you're willing to do the things that you're instructed in. Okay, so the goal then of discipleship is finding faithful people. Here's the problem. Okay, the command is to invest in the faithful. The problem is we can't find faithful people. Proverbs 20, verse 6 says, Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find? It's very interesting whenever you talk to people, especially in church world, uh, and this is anywhere from the new person coming in to the pastor that's been pastoring now for several years. Uh, it's very interesting. We want to, and I hope I don't wreck any of my relationships, okay? I'm just, this is just human nature, okay? I'm not saying it's even a bad thing. But what happens is, is um, you know, you can be in a conversation with anyone in church for five, ten minutes, and then pretty soon... They're wanting you to know all the good things that they're doing. Well, in our church, we're, in our church, how we, in our church, what we're, and so they're filling you in on all the good things, and the underlying thing behind all of that is, is you'll just sometime, this is an experiment, when somebody's telling you all the good things that's going on in your church, see if you can just stay deadpan. They desperately want to get feedback, Right? I'm doing good, right? I mean, you hear what's happening. Uh, you see how I'm pastoring my church. It's, it's going good, right? In other words, do you agree that I'm on the right track? Okay, so on the one hand, there's nothing wrong with that. There's everything good about that. There's, a, there's a, an element of iron sharpening iron, right? We need to be able to bounce these things off of one another. But then on another level, we just want to be confirmed, right? We want to be affirmed in our own goodness. Does that make sense? So... Don't feel like you can't tell me what's going on good in your church. I don't want to hear it. I love to hear it. But I'm, I'm just, there's that part of our human nature, right? I, I want you to tell me I'm doing a good job. I'm, I'm in a very subtle way proclaiming to you my goodness. Does that make sense? Uh, but at the end of the day, yeah, see, even that, does that make sense? Tell, tell me I'm doing good. Tell me I'm doing good. Right? We want to proclaim... Right, our own good, but a faithful man, to find the person who's like, man, whatever God's word says, that settles it, I'm down, 
I may not know how to obey it in my life, but whatever it is, man, I'm, I'm in. <laughs> okay, so our focus then is to find the faithful, and that's what we're doing with the cost of discipleship. We want you to see what the Lord says about being a faithful man, a faithful woman, what it means to be a disciple of Christ, and then you decide, are you ready to be faithful? In other words, this is like a really big I do moment. This is what we do when we premaritally counsel people before they come to the marriage altar and give their vows because what God hath joined, let no man put asunder. Okay, so we're asking, this is a big ask, this is a big commitment. So, look at what the Bible says about the faithful. We're going to invest the word of God in, the, in those who, we're not looking for perfection, but we're looking for those who are willing to endeavor to live out what they learn in the word of God. And so in Philippians 2, verses 12 through 13, the Bible says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, you're not just doing it when I'm looking. No, this is where your want to is set to. Watch this. But now, much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Born again, live born again, not according to a way that's right in your own eyes, but according to what I have committed to you, right? Not just under my tutelage, not just under my instruction, not just under our conference where I've given you the doctrine of God's word, but as my disciples, I want you to work this out, live this out in your own life. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So, prospective disciples... Where is your want to set to? Is it all for the glory of God because the king has commanded, so I want to devour, I want to know for myself what is in the word of God so that I can be accountable to it and live it out? Or do I have exceptions, caveats? <laughs> okay, so notice how the word of God describes those that obey the word of God. First, uh, Second Peter, first chapter. Simon Peter writes to God's people, verse 2, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through, uh, how do we get the grace and peace of God? Through what? Through the word of God, through the knowledge of God, through the salvation of God, through the, uh, and of, the, of, of Jesus our Lord. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Well, what are these things? How do we get a hold of this life of God, this godliness in God? Well, it's through the word of God, right? Through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory, right? Our life is to glorify God, but also virtue. He's called us to virtue. Whereby? Because we're to give glory to God. Our life is to be virtuous. God, verse 4, gives us his word. We have these great, exceeding, precious promises and then once we have the word of God, that is to produce the life of God, right? right God, he's given us his knowledge so that we can have a life, right? We, our, our life should be godliness. We could be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. We don't live by our fleshly, by nature, we're the children of, lat, of, of wrath. We don't live that way anymore because the word of God has gotten into us, it has done a work in us, and so now the life of God is being manifest in us. Okay, so here's how it works practically. And beside this, give all diligent, diligence, add to your faith, what? Virtue, and then once you've got virtue added to your faith, then you need to get some more knowledge. Okay, so how does that work? 
you know, you get a clue down in verse 10. What do we do with these things that we get in the Word of God? We do them, right? That's what it says. So here's how this works out. We add to our faith virtue, not more knowledge. In other words, you've gotten some instruction. You've gotten the Word of God. How is that to be worked out in your life? So we're looking for, what we're looking for, faithful men and women of virtue, and here's what we're going to see, who seek to obey what they know. They seek to obey the Word of God as they learn it. They seek to have it, to know it, applied to their life. We're not looking to invest those that skip application for more knowledge. Because we got people, I mean, coming. it's fun to take a literal approach to Scripture. It's what we're told to do. <laughs> that would be obedient. But it's also just like super fun. You come to the Word of God, and if words mean what they mean, and if you just let the Bible say what it says, there is no book like the book. <laughs> I mean, it is a, it's just so much fun. You can go to any page in the book, and getting the insight into what it is saying will blow your mind every time. It's a, it's a head trip, but the sad thing is, is for so many people in so many churches, churches like ours, they're just coming to get their head tripped out. They don't want it to affect what they're going to do or how they're going to live Monday morning at work or how they're going to treat their wife. Uh, I grew up in a church where uh, there wasn't, we didn't have the Bible training that we have in our churches, but, um, you know, we were in the Word every week, and it was interesting to me. Most of the men in the church would treat the preacher, the guests that they would have over for Sunday dinner, they would treat them better than they would treat their own wife. Hypocrites. You know, we were all frauds, you know. We can't live this out in our marriages. We can't live this out in our parenting. We can't live this out uh, with our next-door neighbor uh, in church on Sunday morning, taking notes, saying amen, but we're not going to make direct application. I mean, come on. You don't know my wife. You don't know my neighbor. Blows his When it's time to rake up the leaves in the fall, my neighbor blows his leaves into my yard. I got to love that cat. Are you kidding me? Okay, we're looking for people who aren't going to just say amen. We're looking for people that are going to say, sign me up, right? So, 2 Timothy 2.2 says, faithful men take the instruction that they've been given to teach others also very seriously. So, in other words, we're very upfront. Our goal is to make you a discipler. <laughs> that is the objective of this program. Every member a minister. So we're looking for people who they want to set to whatever the Word of God says settles it in terms of their life, their application. So this process is worked out in the life of the believer. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 says, the things that are true, right? So what are these things? These things are the Word of God. Whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue... If there be any praise, think on these things, and you know just as well as I how we can take each of these categories and show that this is the very word of God. What do we do with these things? What do we think on these things? What are these things supposed to produce in us? Verse 9, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, what? Do. do. 
and the God of peace shall be with you. There is nothing like knowing that you're living your life in the very center of God's will. You know, Pastor Grayson in the first session talked about burnout. Uh, that is a very real thing. That can really happen. But I got to tell you something. Whenever you're sitting down across the table with someone that can't get enough of the word of God because they've counted the cost of discipleship, it's tough to get burnout in that hour. <laughs> it's tough to get depressed or old hat in that hour. It's just you vicariously live through them in that moment. It'd be like you with your grandchildren. You know, it's not, it's, it's been there, done that, raised your own children, but uh, I'm, you know, rounding the horn to an empty nest, and so I know what comes after that. Pretty soon, somebody's going to be calling me Papa. I can't wait, you know. Gramps, old fo I'll even take old fogey. Uh, I'll, uh, yeah, well, I don't want to get in trouble again with the names. So, I, you know, I, I'm kind of starting to daydream a little bit about what it's going to be like to have grandchildren. Like, oh, there's my DNA. It came back to me, you know. This is awesome. Um, what happens? Okay, so now I, I know I don't, I don't, what, what are these? I don't even, I can't even come up with the names. Um, Fern Gully. Huh? What's the movie? Yeah, Fern Gully. Okay. Yeah, Fern Gully. Um, 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 what's the one where the dogs suck the noodle and then they end up smooching? Lady and the Tramp. Yeah. I'm not going to watch that this week. Got no desire to waste my time watching that stupid stuff. But let me tell you, whenever a grandkid, I mean, that first grandkid comes along, I can't wait to snuggle up on that couch. Hey, let's watch the Transformers. It's cool. They're robots in disguise. You see that? And we're going to be watching cartoons together. Now, I'm not saying there are things in the Word of God that I don't care about. But there are things in the Word of God that before, maybe a couple decades ago, four decades ago now, blew my mind. But now I look at it, and I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, of course, everybody knows that. What? You didn't know that? I mean, but to see that disciple get a hold of that for the first time, oh, it's just cool, man. I mean, just snuggling with somebody in the Word of God is just, I don't know how you get enough of that. What will burn you out is just person after person that's saying, I want to be a disciple. Don't really. I want to be a disciple. Don't really. When are we get together again? And they're just sucking the life out of you. That gets old pretty quick, right? So we're looking for those that the things that they have both learned and received and heard and they're seeing us model in their life, they got to do it. Our goal is every member a minister. We're not just teaching you for fun. We're training you for the work that your king is calling you to. Is this making sense to everybody? Okay, so here is an incredible, this isn't in your notes, but you might jot this down in Luke chapter 6, verse 19. You've got an incredible picture of how virtue works. In the beginning, John 1, 1 was the word, and so we know that the word was made. And here's the application of the word of God, these things that they're learning, receiving, and hearing in him. It says, and the whole multitude sought to touch him, for there went out, right, there went virtue out of him, and he the living word of God, healed them all. So everywhere where the word of God was applied in the life of people who had need, their lives were changed. They didn't continue sick. They didn't continue without the word in their life. It changed their life. It changed who they are. 
It completely set them free from their sickness and their disease. In every life that had the word of God applied, they partook of God's virtue. The virtue of God went out of their life, and a change was produced in the life of that believer. Do you see that picture? Okay, so that's Luke chapter 6, verse 19. So in 2 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 3, we're looking for faithful men and women of virtue. They're not going to just nod their head. Oh, no, no, no. God said this. That settles it. By his grace, I will live it. They seek to apply. They seek to obey the word of God in their lives. And so then again, we will make this point. If you're hearing this and you're realizing that's not where you're at, we love you. Please keep coming. If you don't, if you don't fill out the form and sign up to be discipled, we're actually pleased with that. We recognize that some people haven't come to the place where they realize that this is how they need to spend the rest of their life. We're not talking about a six-week program. We're not talking about a six-month or even a year-long program that you're going to do to personally enrich your understanding, to round you out as a Christian. No, we're talking about what you're going to be focused on for the rest of your life. You can be a butcher, a baker, a candlestick maker, right? You can be a banker, you can be a lawyer, you can be a doctor, whatever. But all of that exists to enable you for the work that God's called you to. In whatever sphere, whatever realm of life you find you in, you're there to make disciples, to invest in faithful men and women and train them to do the same. And if you're not doing that, then you're not in the middle of God's will for your life. You say, well, I'm not gifted to teach. This is why we pair people up all the time. You can, you can gang up on a disciple. Paul did it. You know, he's discipling people, and he's got Timothy. He's got Silas. He's got people that he's training in the ministry with them. Come on. Let's jump into the lives of people. Okay, so then we get into the seven marks of a disciple of Jesus Christ. We could have, I'll just be up front, we could have condensed this to six. We could have, but that's not how we roll. And uh, more and more, <laughs> instead of combining two of them, and I'll point that out when we get there, um, even in prepping for this, I realize there's a couple more things that we need to do. Uh, two of these marks go very closely together, but we'll, we'll talk about that in just a second. You could probably come up with a list of 60 marks of a disciple of Christ, couldn't you? We could come up with probably 300 marks of a disciple, which would be overwhelming. And we'd have people, you know, you're going through all the rules and regulations. They're just like, I just want to run the race. <laughs> okay, so we've tried to distill this down to the lowest common denominator. Does that make sense? This could be a list of any number. Uh, these are just some of the big ones. And three of them are really where we started in Luke chapter 14. But since we're talking about a disciple as a follower of the word of God, then mark number one is a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ is established in the word of God. You could take this as an opportunity to talk about the goals. The goals of discipleship. As a fellowship, we've tweaked those just a little bit. Goal number one is to establish the disciple in what? Worship. That's awesome. Goal number two? The word. Goal number three? The Joe's given the answer to all of them. Yeah, it's okay. Uh, did you hear it, Joe? What's goal number three? Uh, the local church, right? Huh? It's what? Pastor Joe says you need to all go back to the first class. Okay. 
Uh, and in that, we're talking about the fellowship of believers and the structure of the local church. And then goal number four, that's where the faithfulness comes online because you're now doing the same, right? In ministry with us. We want to establish disciples in ministry with us. So a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ is established in the word of God. They don't just nod their head at the word of God. They, their want to is set to obeying what it says. John chapter 8, verse 31, Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him, if ye continue in my word, then ye are my disciple indeed. Uh, you ever notice all of the if-then statements of the Bible, you know? If this condition is set properly, then that result will always come, right? If ye continue in my word, then ye are my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So this ought to actually then produce a warning in your life, okay? So I'm just speaking to the cost of discipleship class at Midtown Baptist Temple. You hear this, what the Word of God says right here. Do you hear this? If you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. If your want to isn't set to knowing the Word of God for yourself so that you can obey it, so that you can live it out in his life, then you're not his disciple, are you? And if you're not Jesus' disciple, well, then who are you following? And I promise you it'll be one of, one of these things. It'll be something in the world. It'll be your flesh, or it'll be, what's the third one? It'll be the devil, won't it? And here's the thing. Everything reproduces after its kind, doesn't it? So if Jesus is saying everything that I'm about, everything that I do, everything you see, you hear, everything that you're seeing coming out of my life, it's in submission to the will, to the word of the Father. Okay, if that's true and we're going to be a follower of him, that means everything that we say, everything that we see, everything that we do, everything, again, we're not the perfect son of God, the son of God, but as a son of God, as a Christian, right, a follower of Christ, our want to should be set to whatever the word of God says. Oh, God, I want, to, I want that. I want to live that out in my life. God, help me by your grace to see the reality of your word in my life. I believe on it. And so just like through faith in your word, by your grace I was born again, through faith in your word, by your grace, I'm going to live this out. I'm going to work out my salvation with fear and trembling. And if that isn't the bent of your life, could it be that you're still of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father, that's what you're doing? We got a lot of people in a lot of churches who pray prayers in services because they don't want to go to hell. Um, I don't want to offend anybody. <laughs> I'm I'm just gonna give you where I'm where I'm at. Being saved isn't about going to heaven, and there's way too much of this. Hey, you, and again, I get that's a great way to start a conversation, uh, especially at funerals. Well, do you know what's gonna happen to you when you die? You know, I mean, that's a great fishing tool. Uh, but the, for the believer, we're already seated together in heavenly places in Christ. I mean, there's a very real sense in which uh, we've got heavenly access already. Being born again isn't about having a seat at the big table in the sky. Uh, that is a side, that's a derivative benefit of being saved. The big benefit of being saved, obviously, is to be reconciled back to God to have God himself in my life. 
that's the big, that's the big draw for the, for the believer, amen? amen? And so, you know, this whole, do you want to, you know, if you want to know that you're going to heaven when you die, pray this prayer with me, sets us up for a lot of false conversions. Uh, I am exhibit A of that in second grade. Uh, the Sunday school teacher said, "How? I mean, I don't even know what the lesson was on, but I remember this like it was yesterday at the end. This is the first time I'd ever heard it. I'm in second grade. I'm in a little country church, and she says, how many of you want to go to heaven when you die? Well, I'm not the smartest kid in the county. You know, there's probably a lot of smarter people in McDonald County than me, but I know I'm smart enough to know I don't want to miss out on heaven, so I raised my hand. And she said, if you, you know, there's three or four of us that raised our hand. She's like, oh, that's wonderful. Those of you that want to go to heaven, you've raised your hand. As soon as we're done here, I want you to come down front. And so I thought, well, maybe that's where I, uh, literally, maybe this is where I sign up for heaven. You know, maybe this is where I, 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 I make sure that they know I'm coming, you know. And so I came forward, you know, and they sat me down in the front and they said, all right, you, you guys want to go to heaven? You know that Jesus is God? And yeah, I remember you saying something about that. Yeah, Jesus is God. And, and uh, you know that Jesus died for your sins. No concept of what that actually meant. But yeah, yeah, I heard you say that. Yeah, Jesus died for my sins. I didn't even understand my sin. I'm in second grade. Sin's still fun. It's all about, can I get the cookie without mom finding out? That's joy. That's awesome. You know, whatever I can get away with is genius. Like the exceeding sinfulness of sin. I don't even understand it yet, right? I'm, I'm, I'm sure I was a holy terror, but I didn't get that. Okay, so you know that Jesus died for your sin, and you know, do you believe that he rose again on the third day? Well, I believe in Santa Claus. Of course I believe that Jesus rose again on the third day. Why wouldn't I? You told me that's what happened. I don't think you're a liar. Uh, okay, so now, if you will just pray this prayer with me. And so she led us all in the sinner's prayer. And I'm telling you, I was no more saved than this piece of plexiglass. I was no more born again. But I prayed this prayer, and I left that meeting thinking, okay, well, I guess I'm going to heaven. I still don't know God. I'm still in my sin, but I prayed a prayer. Does that make sense? In other words, is the fruit of salvation coming out of that profession Right? Has the word of God taken root in me? Is it bearing the fruit of Christ through me? If not, why not? In other words, if your want to isn't set to, whatever God says, that is everything for my life. There's a reason for that. So there's another way to take that passage in Philippians. Maybe you need to work out your salvation with trembling and fear. <laughs> Maybe you need to make sure that you've met the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You know, Do you know that your sin bearer, have you believed on your sin bearer, the Lord Jesus Christ, the finished work of Christ at Calvary? Was that, is that what all the eggs of your life's basket, have you put them on him at Calvary? Have your sin, has your sin debt been paid through the finished work of Jesus Christ? Are you in that resurrection life? Are you seated together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus so this is a time to make sure that they're considering their salvation. Point number one, true disciples of Jesus rely on God's word to be their final authority. Oh, this is a big deal. This is why I keep saying we're looking for people to invest in who will submit to the word of God without caveats. Because we deal with this all the time. People will nod their head. Yes, it's the word of God. Yes, it's the word of God. But if you're actually going to get serious about obeying it and following it, there's something wrong with you. You're a radical. You don't understand. This is real life that we're talking about, and you're going to just follow some archaic, ancient book 
like it's the gospel? Yeah, that's exactly what we're going to do. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's what we're going to do. And I've seen this happen over and over and over again. People will come into our ministry, and they'll get, like, fired up, man. The Bible isn't some ancient, archaic book that has no relevance to our life today. The Word of God begins speaking to people, and it begins rocking their world, and all of a sudden, they're in their Bible all the time. They can't get enough, and so at home, they're reading their Bible, and the Catholic mom and dad, uh, this is like the, remember Julie? Kind of a rough deal. Well, we had a gal, Ben was the college pastor at MBT at the time, and, and we had a young girl, just a classic, stereotypical example of this concept. She just got on fire for God, man. She's gloriously saved and growing as a disciple, and it freaked her parents out. They forbade her to come to church. They forbade her, uh, that freaky boy that was all about the Bible, like somehow had, they were convinced he was working his mojo on her. <laughs> That's going to ruin her whole life because she's just obsessing about God and the Word of God. Can you imagine that? Um, being forbidden from coming to church. Okay, Dan's dealing with it now. He's across town in a very affluent part of our Metroplex. Um, you know, the church, uh, they've had a lot of access to young people. Uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, same thing happening there. And parents calling the church a cult because they take the Bible too seriously, too literally. Um, you know, warning other families in the area, don't go to Living Faith and Lee Summit. Uh, they're, they're too radical. One set of parents was encouraging their daughter to go sow her wild oats. Before you get serious about this Christianity thing, and they're church attenders, right? They attend another church in town. They call themselves Christians. They're counseling their daughter before she turns into some embarrassing, freaky radical for the Bible, for the person of God and the Word of God. Why don't you go fool around? You know, go, here's your supply of condoms and contraceptives, and, you know, go fool around. Just make sure, right? I mean, they were counseling her to go sow her wild oats. Well, that's the day and the age that we live in, and I'm promising you, brothers and sisters, we have them. Joe, there are people who come to this church, and they, they're saying amen at all the right places, but when push comes to shove in terms of the word of God meeting the, the road, the rubber of God's word meeting the road of their life, they have caveats, they have exceptions, there are special conditions that do not apply. I know that word of God, I know, I know it's true, but you don't understand where I'm at right now. Okay, those are all lies out of the pit of hell. Yeah. That is a faithless position. Yeah. Um, we're, we're, we're calling the people that we're going to take one of our disciples. They're going to spend the next six months to a year of their life pouring into you. Before we give you access to this precious brother or sister in Christ, we want you to count the cost because you're going to be confronted in this process. The word of God is going to confront the areas of your life. And if you're not willing to say, yes, Lord, then we love you. Please keep coming. <laughs> We're trusting that the word of God will do the work in your life. You've counted the cost. You're not ready. We get that. Praise the Lord. Come back when you're ready. Does that make sense? Okay, so the word of God, has, you've got to be able to submit to it as a final authority. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 21, describes the worst possible 
the most frustrating condition for a person to be in to try to disciple. Elijah comes to the people, and this is his complaint. How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if the devil, your flesh or the world is God, right? If Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. They're there for the sermon, but you're going to, like, call on me to actually live this stuff out? Come on, be reasonable. Psalms 119, verse 128. Therefore I esteem all precepts concerning all things to be right. I hate every false way. True disciples of Christ, point number two, can't get enough of the word. It's their life. It's their sustainment, right? So you've got the cross-references there. True disciples of Jesus are changed as they live out the word of God. The word of God cleanses them. The word of God sets them apart to God's glory, to God's purposes, to God's mission for their life. And so then there's the key question. Will you pursue, right? Do you, do you see the word of God for what it is so that you will give your life to its pursuit? Mark number two. Yeah, let's go ahead and get this one. Mark number two, a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ loves him more than any other person. So Luke chapter 14, verse 25, there went a great multitude with him, and he turned and said unto them, if any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Okay, so we explain culturally what this means. Uh, the word of God commands God's people to honor their father and mother. That's the first command with promise. So we explain to them what Jesus is saying here is you don't leave this meeting, call up your mom and say, Mom, I hate you. I'm no longer your, t I want you out of my life. Boom. No. You're going to love them, but you're going to love the Lord Jesus Christ more. You know, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I well, how do you reconcile that with God so loved the world, he's not willing that any would bear? Well, obviously, love and hate means I, you know, if I say I love both you guys, and Joe says I want to take you, oh, no, get this straight. Pastor Grace says I want to take you out for steak, a steak butter sandwich, whatever that is, okay. <laughs> and Joe, and Joe's saying, no, 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 man, I got this great salad place. I got this great salad place, what do you call it, grass. Uh, we're going to eat grass. Um, I, you know, I, I, man, I love you. I want to spend time with you, Sam. It's, let's, 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 let's debrief. Let's spend some time. I'll give you the list of words that you can't say <laughs> in the South. <laughs> okay, great. I, now I have a decision to make. And if I say, you know, Pastor Grace, I might say I love him. Really, it's the steak sandwich, right? But I'm going to go grab lunch with Pastor Grace um, if Joe is immature and petty, he'd be like, why do you hate me? Yeah. Right? Well, I don't hate him. I just chose George over Joe. Right? I mean, we all get that. Um, it is choosing the one over the other. Well, what's going to happen is if you get serious about following the Lord Jesus Christ, the world is going to be calling you off. And they're going to be manipulating you emotionally, and they're going to tell you basically what you're going to hear. If you keep radical for Christ, that means you don't love us. Why do you hate us? Okay, so it's not that you don't love them, but in terms of who you're going to pick, you're going to hate them, and you're going to love the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? You're going to disobey what they say, hate, and obey what Jesus says, love. Does that make sense? We're all on the same page with that. 
So what this means is true disciples make their relationship with Jesus the priority. Why? He is the head, right? It's by him that we consist. So our love for Christ has to trump every other love in our life. That includes our spouse, that includes our children, that includes our parents, that includes ourself. You have a relationship with yourself. No man, you know, no man ever yet hated himself, right? You don't hate yourself. You love yourself. You nourish and you cherish yourself. You're really into yourself. Uh, compared to your love for the Lord Jesus Christ, your love for self should look like hate because you don't do what your body wants, what yourself wants. We're going to choose what Jesus wants. There's always going to be a relationship that Satan will try and use to derail your relationship with Jesus. We talked about this yesterday. People sign up for discipleship, and then she calls. <laughs> Didn't want anything to do with you whenever you were a self-serving loser yesterday, but now that you care about Jesus, all of a sudden, you're all that and the bag of chips, and she wants to eat you up. And an idiot will fall for that, and it pulls them right out of discipleship. Your boss will start scheduling you on Sundays and Tuesdays. Guess what? Our goal is to see you established in the structure and the fellowship of the local church. And if you can't prioritize basic obedience, Hebrews chapter 10, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. You can't be held accountable by a live stream feed. You can't do that. You can't be held accountable. You can't be loved by an archived video message online. That's not church. You got to go where people can give you a holy kiss. Is that how it works in the South? It's not how it works in the North. It's not how it works in the Midwest. We're huggers. We do a lot of hugging. Um, and uh, we, got a, we got a Spanish ministry now in our local church, so we're learning about the holy kiss. You know, you know so, uh, why? Because whenever I'm going through a rough time, I need to be provoked to love and a good, good works, right? Whenever I'm rejoicing, I need to stay the course in my rejoicing. I need to be provoked to love and to good works. I need to be provoked to be all about the love of God, living it out in my life. So I'm not going to let my family, so here's the list, family, friends, dating. Point number two, true disciples are going to eliminate relationships that are unbiblical. <laughs> Friendship with the world is enmity with God. Whosoever, therefore, James 4.4, 4, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Okay, so if you're married to an unbeliever, well, come on, you've read 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Let's get full of faith and trust the Lord for your spouse. You're not going to divorce your unbelieving mate. If they're pleased to dwell with you, come on. But if you're dating an unbeliever, that ain't right. We're commanded to an equal yoke. If you're pursuing, if you're going to hitch the wagon of your life to unbelievers to follow their agenda, that ain't going to work. Uh, some people need to break up. And so we just make this point. Uh, it's not in your notes, but I'll tell you what's in the notes of the people that go to Cost of Discipleship at MBT, and we just we point them to the quote and we read it with them. Um, if uh, you know you you put however it rolls in your neck of the woods, you put your whatever you want right there. But this is what we do in Kansas City, without exception at Midtown Baptist Temple. We will not attempt to disciple anyone who is yoked to an unbeliever in a dating relationship, living with a boyfriend or girlfriend, living a life of fornication, any sex. If you are pursuing sex outside of marriage, uh, we will not disciple you. And that is offensive to some people. Again, we love you. Keep coming. But we don't, you know, we're not going to treat you like you're saved until you start 
living like yourself. Does that make sense? We want unbelievers to come. We want fornicators to come and know that they're loved, that God loves them. But we're not going to make you a deacon next week. Right? You're not going to be a member of Midtown Baptist Temple until you're submitted to the word of God. Does that make sense? So that's, um, we, we have to do that up front. We've learned this the hard way. You start discipling somebody because they're nodding their head at everything. And then you're halfway through the lessons, you find out, oh, they're just totally shacked up because, you know, it's expensive. Living life is expensive. I mean, I, I can't afford not to live with my boyfriend. I can't afford not to live with my girlfriend. Are you kidding me? You can't afford not to move out. You can't afford what you're doing. And so, you know, you pour all this time and energy into somebody only to find out later that they had no intention ever. Uh, they just love the church. You know, they're really excited about what's going on, and they just want to do what everybody else is doing. And so this is something that we have to address up front. We'll look at number three. We've got about ten minutes left. Does anybody, uh, we'll look at number three tomorrow. Does anybody have a question about anything that we've covered so far in the material today? Yes, ma'am. You have a question, Dan? Oh, okay. Huh? I'm like, you, you helped us put this together. In reference to this last question, I mean, point brother, choose disciples to eliminate relationships. Can we turn up the monitor? Is that possible? Which question? Okay. Is this better? Oh, yeah, that's perfect. Oh, okay, on page 13? Yes. Um, on page 13, um, where it says, any relationship that displeased the Lord are worth dissolving immediately. So a situation I was wondering about is I have um, – family members uh, who are confess that they are saved and attend church and do all that, and their daughter is in a homosexual relationship, mm -hmm. and their stand is that um, who she has admitted that she's saved as well, the daughter, mm -hmm. and so their stand is that, you know, it's acceptable, it's fine, and they're against God's word, and so I've had to break fellowship with them, and um, another family member disagrees with that so I'm correct in stating that my position of breaking fellowship is correct is that right yeah okay so I'm not in the details of that I don't know how everything has played out uh, I would absolutely refer you back to your pastor but I can speak to the principal okay so I would have that conversation with my pastor because they'll have more of the details they'll know all the nuances of what's going down but you know it's it's I mean Corinthians 5 it's very clear so we're excited when homosexuals come to visit in our church. Again, they're not going to be a functioning member of Midtown Baptist Temple. Does that make sense? Now, there are, there are people that if a homosexual came to the church, they would ask them to leave, and, and those are things that you'll have to work out as your local church. We're in a very, uh, we're in the hood, okay? Uh, but we're in a fancy, we're in a fancy part of town. And uh, I got to tell you, I got a heart for these people that are confused, man. I mean, completely confused, and they can't even figure out sometimes what, what their gender is. Um, and it's like, that's like the easiest thing in the world. Just look down. You can tell <laughs> what you are, you know. That's, that's not hard. Like, that's some serious blindness, right? <laughs> so Paul says you don't company with fornicators. Right, This person who, they were discipled, they know better, they know the word of God, they refuse to live it out, 
And so what they're doing is they're literally being anti-Christ. They're saying, yes, I know what the Word of God says, but look at all the caveats, all the exceptions. And, that, you know, we don't put people on church discipline for just any old thing. If, we, if, it, if, if sin was the precondition for church discipline, well, then we'd all have to leave, right? Paul says, yes, in my flesh, present tense, dwelleth no good thing, right? You, if you just look real hard, you could find some short areas in your own life. But there are lists in the Bible that just says you don't get to call yourself a Christian and an unrepentant fornicator, an adulterer, right? In other words, we'll always, anybody that, that finds themselves in sin, we want to work with them to recover them. We want to take a position of humility. We want to take a position of grace. As long as you're willing to do what's right, we're going to work with you. Um, but if you're refusing to repent of sin and you're making excuses and justifying this lifestyle, well, we can't work with that. You know better. Uh, you're not going to attend here. Why? Because you're you're trying to prove to the rest of this church body and this community that a life in Christ doesn't work. And that's a lie out of the pit of hell. And so we can't, we, -uh, we can't do it. Okay, so we're not going to treat you like a brother. We're not going to have fellowship together. You're not going to take the Lord's table with us. You're not going to continue as a deacon, as a disciple, or as a whatever. Um, you need to go somewhere else. Okay, so, so there's that level of it. But when somebody comes in, oh, my goodness. Let's go fishing, right? Uh, let's trust the Lord to see the word of God take root in their life. I, I'll give you one example uh, in this. And, uh, you know, this won't get sorted out until, until heaven. But we had a family in our church. Uh, it was just a few blocks from where we're at. And uh, the husband was out. The wife was home with her sister and their small children. And some guys rang the doorbell, and the sister wasn't thinking. She was visiting. She opened the door, and they came in with guns. And they were in the process of robbing our sister in Christ and these precious babies. They're robbing this home, and, and um, she handed them her purse. And while they were going through it, she realized they've completely forgotten about me. And uh, she ran out the back, got the kids. They went out the back before these guys even knew, knew that they were gone because they were like, squabbling over her purse, she ran to the next door neighbor's house, who is fabulous. <laughs> uh, this guy is a, uh, he's a military guy, right? Was trained in the military. He's got guns in his house, uh, but he loves sewing. And uh, he is living with his partner and they're, you know, whatever. So, so, you know, they're neighbors. She runs to her neighbor's house and says, can you call the police? Can you call the police? We're being robbed right now. She's trembling. She's shaking so bad. Well, this guy, he's been in the neighborhood for a long time. He's fed up, just completely fed up. This is like X number robbery in his, on his street over the last month. He can't take it anymore. He grabs one of his guns. He goes next door and has a shootout with these guys while the cops are coming, and they shot him. You know, they, uh, he, he, he shot one of them, and they were running out the back, and so he turns around to go head him off, and the other one turned around and shot him right in the back. And it, it messed him up. Um, he went to the hospital. He spent um, almost, a, it was like three weeks or something, almost a month in the hospital. And he makes his living by sewing. You know, he's a, he does these small jobs, sewing uh, for businesses, sewing fabulous clothes, whatever. And, uh, and so we heard about this. Okay, can I just tell you something? 
I never even met that guy, but I love him. I mean, he stood up for my sister and uh, hazarded his life, right, to protect her home. And I'm just like, I've never met this guy, but he's like my favorite person in the world right now. And, and so we did some exploring. We checked out, you know, what's going on with this guy and found out he's in trouble. He might be in trouble with his banker because he can't make his house payment. There's no food in the house. Uh, we put a team together. We went and bought groceries for them. We paid his mortgage that month. Uh, the, and we did it, Midtown Baptist Temple. We're, we're doing this in Jesus' name because what you did for our sister means the world to us. We want you to know we're so grateful. Fast forward two, two three months later, it's, we're having a Christmas candlelight service, and this dude shows up. He comes to church. Long story short, at the end of the service, he comes forward and professed Christ, uh, attended a few times, was very uncomfortable. I don't know that he got saved. I know the seed of God's word got planted into his heart. I know he was super grateful for us. He told me, he's like, man, I love to sew. He's there in his tight leather pants and his cane. You know, I love to sew. I mean, look, I, I make clothes like this. If this church ever needs anything, you want something sewn, you just call me. I'll make it for you. And I'm like, I don't think that's my fashion, dude. <laughs> but I hear what you're saying. If we need something sewn up, you're our man. <laughs> We're going to do it, you know. I, yeah, we'll see. I, we'll see what happens, you know. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's just awesome to be able to get to invest the love of God into the life of people. We don't have to, come on, we don't have to agree with anybody about rebellion against the Lord. But we can still show the love, the heart, the life of God. God is not willing that any would perish. Right? Yeah. So we shouldn't be either, <laughs> you know. It ought break our heart to see people in rebellion against the Lord. You know, we've got people, these guys grow up, you know. You don't, I've heard this story more times than I can count. When I was little, my uncle just warps them, man, wrecks them, <laughs> you know. And I just, wow, that's hard. <laughs> you know, God is a perfect father. God is a loving father. I, I, with all my heart, I want to introduce you to him. This will change your life, you know. Uh, we need the heart of God for the lost. Uh, it's 12 o'clock. I did it again. One question. Wrecked the whole time. Uh, but, uh, Joe, thanks, man. So tomorrow uh, at the end, we'll have an hour and a half uh, for questions and answers. So I, I do encourage you to think through uh, tonight, this afternoon, tonight, questions, some things, look back over your notes, uh, things that you would like to have answered, and uh, you'll have the opportunity to ask those things tomorrow um, in the last session. And so we're all going to be together too, so we'll hear from, from both groups. So you guys come on in. Uh, we're going to gather both groups together for just a minute here uh, at the end today. I, I Messed up yesterday and let people exit, and you probably, if you went out and tried to go down by the preschool, you probably got scolded by one of those ladies. Uh, I'm sorry about that. Uh, but uh, a couple of things I wanted to do today uh, in the middle of this, and just real quick introduce you to some friends. I introduced you to Rodney Agan a few minutes ago, and he'll still be here this afternoon. He'll be here tonight. If you want to talk to Rodney uh, about some of the things that he's doing, he can help you maybe with uh, putting together uh, some systems to... Uh, identify people's gifts and personalities and how that might work in ministry. Uh, so if you want to see him, he's out in the foyer. You can talk to him. Uh, another friend of our ministry is uh, David Nelms. 
and uh, David leads the Timothy Training Initiative, and uh, they're engaging people around the world. We're talking about discipleship within our local churches today, uh, and this, this week, and obviously that's a critical part of what we do here, uh, but you know, there's a lot of people around the world who've never even heard the name of Jesus Christ, and they need to be discipled too. Uh, over 6,500 unreached people groups, many of them unengaged. And what that means is nobody's even trying. Uh, and so these guys have, have developed uh, a plan to get discipleship into those nations. David, come on up here. He's going to share with you for just a few minutes. And then when David's done, if you're interested, uh, we're going to go to lunch. And uh, so if you want to go and hear more about TTI and what they're doing, uh, you can go to lunch with us. We'll buy you lunch. You know what? If you're a pastor and you just want a free lunch, and you don't really care what TTI is doing, you can come and just get a free lunch. Uh, it'll work out like that, too. Uh, David, we love you and appreciate what you're doing for us, brother. Thank you, Joe. Yeah, we. Uh, it's just exciting to hear so much about disciple making. I think I've heard the word disciple more this morning than I have in the last six months of my life. And that's just really exciting to me. These the speakers today, boy, just, just uh, so great. And you are Dr. Grace? Yes, okay. I've heard about you all my life. It's a real honor to meet you. So, Up in New York? <laughs> well, I wasn't going to bring up that part of what I heard, but uh, our ministry goal is to make disciple makers. I heard somebody say recently, this kind of stuck with me. They said, if you're not making disciples who make disciples, you're not making disciples. Because disciples make disciples. And I really like that. And as I study the Great Commission, I, I think what it's saying is, technically it says make disciples, but I think it's really saying make disciple makers. We believe, we teach our guys overseas, we believe every, every believer should be a disciple. Every disciple a disciple maker. Every disciple maker is only a potential church. And every church is a church planting center. I see the local church as a place where disciple makers just being churned out to go to the ends of the earth. And as Joe said, uh, the Great Commission is, it is make disciples, but it's not just making disciples here. It's here, it's near, and it's, it's far away. And what TTI does, it's a ministry that was formed out of a local church. I believe ministry is done best when it's done in, by, and through the local church. I believe that deeply. And we like to come alongside other churches as we have Joe and James and Randy in here and several others in the back of the Taylor. We, we want to come alongside of you and be your disciple-making arm far away. Uh, we'd like to help you a little bit here and near also, but especially uh, far away. Uh, let me show you some pictures. If you guys, can we get that set up, Joe? If you can put the first uh, picture up. Let me get over here where I can see. Well, I guess I can see this way. Uh, I'm from Atlanta, okay, years ago, left. Of course, you guys from around here, you know Coke's headquarters. Uh, Coke has accomplished in 150 years, for the love of money, what the Church of Jesus Christ has yet to accomplish in 2,000 years, for the love of God. I have been to some really strange places. I think I've ministered in about 70 countries, and I've been to some places where when Jesus said into the earth, that's what he was talking about, okay? I've been those places. I've never been any place where they weren't drinking Coca-Cola. And it just doesn't matter. They, they, I mean, you can go to a place where there is no road, and there's no way to get there. And when you get there, they're going to be drinking Coca-Cola. I don't know how they get their product there, but somehow they do. 
okay? And yet, I've been many, many places where they don't have a clue who Jesus is. And we're trying to focus on those places. Next slide. Uh, we are part of an alliance of, of, of ministries here in the United States. Our goal is to plant 5 million churches. That's not an arbitrary number. There are 5 billion people who say they're not Christians. I think there's a lot more than that who aren't, but there's 5 billion who say, I'm not a Christ follower. You have a church within walking distance of every 1,000 of those 5 billion people. You need 5 million churches. And that's what we need today. We'll need more tomorrow. And by the way, 5 million, you know how many that is? There's less than 5 million churches in the world today. So if we're going to get the gospel within walking distance, if we're going to have a Christian presence, a church, within walking distance, we need 5 million more churches right now. Uh, next slide. Uh, this is our system. Somebody said it looks like Amway. Well, I think Amway looks like the book of Acts, okay? We have a Paul who trains Christ followers. We believe the Great Commission was given to Christ followers. We believe everybody, every Christian should be a disciple maker. And the Timothy, we call the disciple maker the Timothy. They, they make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And in our context, if you go into a little Muslim village in Pakistan or a Buddhist village in uh, Bhutan or a Hindu village in Nepal or India somewhere, Kashmir, uh, you start, there's no Christians there in that little village, and you lead someone to the Lord and disciple them, and they make a disciple and they make a disciple, you know what happens? You don't even have to tell them to do it. They just gather together. And when they gather, they'll worship the Father and study the Scriptures and pray and fellowship. That's a church, basically. And so we found, uh, Joe, I started out my ministry trying to make plant churches. And then one day it occurred to me Jesus didn't say plant churches. He said make disciples. And I figured it out. You can plant churches in the United States without making disciples. But you cannot make disciples without seeing churches either strengthened or started one of the two. Next slide. Uh, this is the state of the world right now. Uh, we're in that blue part, the one-third that claims to be Christian. And then there's the non-Christian world, which is uh, there are churches there, but it's, they're the minority. And then there's, God forbid, 43% of the world that's considered unreached. And in much of that, you, you'll just be hard-pressed to find. Christian. Next slide. This is how we divide our resources. Uh, it, it, take a good look at this, guys. I pastored for 36 years. You know that 820-80 rule, the 20% give 80% and do 80%? Same thing applies to missions. I never realized that. Uh, 70, what is that? 72% of our workers are engaged in the Christian world where the church is already firmly established. And 25% of the not, and 3% and the finances is even worse. One percent of what we give actually goes directly to reach the the UPGs or the UUPGs. Next slide. Uh, we are really growing. God's been good to us. We're ten years old, and uh, as I speak to you, we're training thirty-five thousand church planters around the world. Much of them in this part of India. We're in about thirty countries, but each of those little flags there represent a training center. Uh, Joe, some of those are yours, and James, part of there to the right, Vietnam, that's where you focused to cater you guys more in India. Each one of those flags represent about 20, 25 church planters that are being trained, and they're just on top of each other because there's over 
There's over a thousand training centers just in those five or six countries right there. And God has just seen fit to bless and we're we're just humbled that I'm humbled he'd give me the time of day, much less send his son to shed his blood for us and to be used of him. My goodness. What an honor. Next slide. Uh, we focus on unreached people groups. And I'm not I don't have time to get into what that means, but currently we are training church planters that are targeting 351 different unreached people groups. And the next slide, and I'll let this be the last, Jeff. We, in the last year or so, we have engaged 30 previously unengaged unreached people groups. Why is this important? Because the Bible's real clear. One day there'll be someone worshiping at the feet of Jesus from every tribe, every nation, every people group. And up to a year ago, these 30 different ethnicities here, these 30 different nations, to our knowledge, had no one who had engaged them. This church here has engaged two refugees in the last year. And one of them now has four churches, and one of them has one church. It's not very big, okay? Uh, the guy's witnessed to 200 people. He's led uh, two to the Lord. That's one out of 100. But he's got a little group there that he started. The other one's got four churches started. And, Joe, that there's, there's going to be some guys around the throne from those two from those two groups. So I want to thank you for your partnership. If I, if you've got any interest, if we can help you, I got info. Love to see you. And Joe, buy you lunch. Okay. <laughs>